Hey, cheapskates, listen up. If you haven't tried our coffee yet, it's only $5 this month with a subscription. That's the cost of one cup of coffee at Starbucks, and you got like a couple weeks here in a bag. Now's the time to try our coffee. This is the month to try it. $5. It's delicious. Sip your sadness with the E&D Organic Coffee. Try the Broken Heart Blend, the Screamo Blend, or the Triste Mexicana Blend. Did I say that right? Thank you. Try it today. You won't regret it. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Emo's Not Dead podcast. I am your host, Matt Cutchell, and today we have a wonderful guest who's one of my great friends. Give it up for Andrew Goldstein, everybody. Hello. Thank you, guys. They love you. They love yeah. <laughs> by the way. They really do. By the way, my favorite thing is, I, I didn't tell you this ahead of time, but I will tell certain people. I totally forgot. I'm like, there's a fake crowd here. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we cut to it. <laughs> we cut Oh, my to God. They're going, wow. They're going, oh, this is crazy. Um, you guys, I'm going to read this because it's very impressive. Uh, Andrew Goldstein is a multi-platinum songwriter and producer, and he's written and produced songs for people like Celine Dion, Katy Perry, Britney Spears, Machine Gun Kelly, Five Seconds of Summer, Black Bear, Maroon 5, and many, many more. But his biggest success so, sorry, his biggest success so far is Your Broken Hero. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I thought you were going to say being on this podcast. <laughs> That's the second. So it goes, it goes producing your broken hero, then being on this podcast and then probably like a Britney Spears song or something is, is like third. Um, so Andrew, let's talk about your broken hero. Okay. Let's the biggest, do it. the biggest band you've ever recorded. Um, no, um, you guys. So anyway, Andrew is a, a good buddy of mine. We met back in 2010. Something Ish. like that, 2010, 2011. With Something like It Boys, with, baby. Damn. So we met back in the day. Andrew was already a great producer, but still like an upcoming producer. Mm-hmm. You've been doing it now 13 years since then-ish. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, um, we recorded a few songs together, one of them being uh, Rooftops, <laughs> which I still, dude, I still to this day think Rooftops deserve, deserve something more. I still do. It was something cool at the time because everyone was doing dance, like 2010s dance pop. Yeah. And we were like, what if we did like dance synths, but like halftime, like I don't dubstepy drums or whatever. Yeah. It was a banger. And it, Dude, you, it was. It was performed at your wedding, right? Yes. Did you, like the, yeah, I saw bro. the video. Yeah, Bro. So we actually, so me, Duck and Judah were there and someone just asked the DJ to play it and we pr- all performed it at the wedding and got so stoked. And for some reason, every time I hear it, and I truly don't believe it's because I was a part of writing it. Every time I hear it, I think this is just a good song and it belongs on the radio. <laughs> and maybe I'm tripping. I don't know. But anyway, rewrite it for your broken hero. There I we mean, go. Maybe we should. Yeah. Rooftops maybe we should. remix. Your broken hero emo remix. God, that'd be nice. <laughs> um, no. So for those of you who don't know, Andrew, Andrew is a smash hit multi-platinum songwriter and producer and but you didn't start there you started your journey was friday night boys your first band it was like my fourth or fifth band oh no shit yeah but um so i used to play in yeah friday night boys on fuel by ramen um so that was like it started in 2006 and that was like myspace era of a lot of very bizarre emo like synth power pop music happening so uh, I started that band when I was in college and just on MySpace, just by myself. And just I would record the songs with my buddy 
Um, and he was like the only guy I knew that could like kind of record, put the songs up online and, um, it started to like pick up on MySpace or whatever. I was like, all right, this could be something. And then, uh, it just kind of started to grow. And there was a lot of the other bands of that style, which was, yeah, like power pop, pop punk, emo-ish later time. So around 2008, it started to pick up and, uh, we got offered to play on TRL, the MTV show. That's pretty wild. No, that's huge. Um, and they were doing like a thing for like unsigned artist showcase or whatever. So we went on there and performed acoustic. And then um, we got the attention of some labels and stuff. And we were already talking to a couple. And then we met with Fuel by Ramen and we signed there. <clears throat> then we went on tour. We toured for like two years or th- almost three years, really. And uh, toured with all the boys like girls and Cobra starship and we, the Kings and, uh, the main and, uh, Hey Monday and so sick forever. The sickest kids, all that stuff. And then, um, yeah, did that for like two years and it never, you know, it, it was doing its thing, but it never kind of hit that Peaked. part where we were like, I was like living on my friend's couch. Like I'd had like without a room, just I was like paying whatever money I could get for rent and stuff. But you were a real fueled by ramen artist. Like that's how. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. How you were actually living. fueled by ramen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was a fun journey, and it um, that's like what introduced me to co-writing, though. Got um, it. And like the world of that, like being, I didn't really know that you could just like be a songwriter person. So when we were doing our album, I came out here and, and worked with a producer, um, and he, he set up a bunch of co-writes with other professional songwriters. So I was able to collaborate with a bunch of pop songwriters and I didn't know that that was a thing. So I was like, Oh, this is way easier with like someone else here. That's like really good at lyrics or like really Mm -hmm. good at the instrumental track or really good at melodies or, or concept or whatever. So that was like the first time I was like truly collaborating with stuff. So damn. Yeah. And then the band broke up in, uh, I guess it was the end of 2010 or beginning of 20 or mid 2010 sometime. Okay. And, uh, just like, I think it, we just kind of ran our course and it just like, wasn't going in the way that anyone thought we were going to go. So broke up the band and then, uh, I started just like writing songs and producing songs. So when, okay. So when you broke up the band and you started writing your first song, how did you even go about like, now I'm going to write a song. Did you just do it by yourself or did you start reaching out to contacts to be like, Hey, let's write a song together. Um, I was doing both a little bit. So I do like some local bands and stuff and just like whoever wanted to write or whatever. And then um, I ended up just sending a bunch of tracks and songs to the guy, this guy, E-Man, that produced my band's record at the time. I remember E-Man, yeah. Yeah, and um, so I would just send him instrumentals and tracks or song ideas or whatever just to see if it, you know, worked for anything. I didn't know what I, I mean, I still don't know what I'm doing, but I, <laughs> I really didn't know what I was doing. And um, it was crazy. So the first, so this was like 2010 sometime, the first song he sent me, he was like, hey, I have this song I did and I wanted to see if you could like add production stuff to it. Drums, some guitar, keyboards, whatever. When you were new, he asked you this? Yeah. Cause I was wow. sending him tracks. He's like, Oh, like maybe you can just like add some shit, like just Got to like, save time and like just help whatever. And the first thing he sent me was the song called tonight tonight by hot shell Ray, which is like a, yep. that song was like in 2011. We're going I guess. At it tonight. <laughs> yeah. Tonight. So that sounds good. <laughs> so I worked on that. That was like the very first thing I worked on. What? Um, which is crazy now thinking about it, but Same, yeah. So there was like a really bizarre run of like, it was that song. And then the second song he sent me was the song called who says that ended up being a Selena Gomez song. And then the third song he sent me was the song called it girl. That was a Jason Derulo song. So and you like, landed all three of those. Yeah. That like is additional crazy. production, but it was like, 
I was like, damn, this is way easier than like getting in the van and touring. <laughs> yeah. I should do this shit. So um, I also realized that was like a very anomaly yeah. thing to occur, especially at the beginning. Cause usually it's like, granted I was writing with my band, multiple bands and stuff, but I was just like, this is, I'm having a way easier path with this than trying to like yeah. go play a zillion tours and try to, you know, whatever. And so by the time you left um, your band, you were, songwriting obviously but also producing because i it, when you were doing the album for your band you had a producer mm -hmm. so had you picked up producing since then yeah so i was like b before i worked with that producer i was like kind of producing with the help of my friend sean small who's uh he's like an amazing producer and writer and he's in nashville now mm -hmm. so he does he does a bunch of country stuff a bunch of pop stuff now but uh we were kind of like working together on it and i kind of just saw how it worked in the computer and like how how you shape it so like Obviously, the writing the song is the one part, and the producing it is like recording the instruments, how it sounds, the drums, the keyboards, the synths, the effects, the the vocal production, what the vocals sound like, all that stuff. So, kind of picking up on that as I went, yeah, and just kind of experimenting, being like a, it's just like a lot of experimenting and a lot of YouTubing of like how to do stuff. What was tonight? Tonight by Hot Shell Ray, Hot Shell Ray. That was your first radio success, right? Yeah, for in production. Yeah, was that 2010? That was, tw I think that was 2011 when that came out. Because I feel like when we started working together for It Boys, I feel like it was around the same time. It was, yeah. And so I remember what's crazy is... Oh, it was the end of 2010. When we started Wait. working together? No, it, it, yeah, it has to be because that think. our album know. came out, that album introduction came out in 2011. <laughs> <laughs> and you have like three or four songs on it. But Wait, was the It Boys album called Introduction? Introduction. Yeah, <laughs> it was introduction. It was, it was introducing us. That's right. Um, but I'll never forget my fir the first time I went and, and, and wrote with you. Um, I hadn't known who you were yet, but I had seen a couple of your credits and Hot Shell Ray, I believe, was one of them, I think. But someone, I just knew that you were a good producer and more of an up-and-coming producer because you were new. And um, I'll never forget, we went in the room and we recorded Rooftops. And when we left, I was like, that was really fucking good. I was like, I was like, Gold, I was like, I was like, Goldstein's new because that was good. Like your production, if you listen to it now, your production's still good for being a new producer. So how did you get, how did you get good in like a year? Because you fully produced that. Yeah, it was me and Dan Book. Yeah. yeah Does Dan and, produce as well, or mm -hmm. just oh, he produces yeah. as well? Mm -hmm. I was genuinely shocked at how good the quality was for how new you were because i thought it was going to be more like we write it together and then you might co-produce it and send it off to a couple other people and and but like you just i remember you did it and turn it around immediately oh yeah and listen and i listened did you ever hear rooftops by I, I haven't and i remember <laughs> i'll need to <laughs> this whole podcast about is about, about rooftops album track <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we literally album. we talked for, for an <laughs> hour about, about rooftops. <laughs> Dude, no one's ever. <laughs> no one ever. God, you it's guys, good. listen. We gotta get that. We gotta blow that song. Uh, up. We got to. But um, uh, I have I have a question about yeah. this because you know a quick turnaround from from songwriting to producing that's three short years. You must have been a phenom on the computer. Uh, well, I had, I had done like uh, been like making music on the computer for a while, even in high school, like messing with these like weird got it shit programs that you would get like fruity loops and shit yeah fruity loops there was like a tab edit program where you could like program midi yep. all in guitar tabs yep i did i use uh, that and cake, cakewalk sonar cool edit pro 2 yep um like an early version of cubase like stuff like that where i was hopping around got it um a little bit just getting familiar with what it looks like because essentially all all recording on a computer is just like laid out in a graphical kind of form 
versus like looking at a board, which is like recording to tape and you're looking at meters and stuff. Yeah. This is just a different, it's horizontally laid out. And so just understanding that. And, and so you had all these pirated softwares. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> and, On a compact Passario. Oh, nice, dude. <laughs> Um, did you have any other like peripheral, like nerdy shit you did on the computer or was it just music? I did animation a little Flash. bit. Yeah. I knew it. I knew it dude. How did you know that? I fucking knew. I called it, bro. I was you like, this guy, this guy fucked around in Flash. Like there's yeah. no way you turn around that quick without having some concept of. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even know if I know how to do it anymore, but yeah. I remember like making stupid animations, like stick figures walking around and stuff like that. New but, grounds and stuff. But yeah, just understanding how like the, the, like what a graphical representation is. It's the same thing with like video editing or anything right. where you're just looking at something and aligning up. It's a timeline. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. Damn. But yeah, very bizarre. But yeah, so all the, all the only difference is like a lot of times now producing and songwriting happen hand in hand, so at least w when I work. So mm -hmm. you're writing and you're making the instrumental and you're recording and then you're writing other stuff and then laying that in and then adding parts as you're creating the song. Right. So like it's really kind of happens at the same time now. Right. And just f I want to let the fans know who don't know, uh, Andrew is producing the entire album and co-writing the entire album with me for Your Broken Hero. So Your that's, Broken Hero. So it's going down. So it's going down. So that is who Andrew <laughs> is and he means and it means so much. And I genuinely want to know why when I brought you the project and I know E&D fans that know who you are were stoked that you're producing it, but when I brought you the project, wh why did you say yes right away? And I, and by the way, I remember I, I remember I asked you, not expecting you to, knowing that you're busy. And it's not like I know it's not meant to be a big money maker for you. But what about it were you excited about? To because you were stoked on it. Yeah, when, I, when I brought I, it to you, you're fun. like you're, you like you wrote, ha ha, let's do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was that easy. I mean, I, lo I love that style of music. And when you were first doing it, like no one, I was doing like a lot of pop and alt and what and EDM and stuff. So it was just like, oh, we just get to make like emo throwback songs. And there's like a comedy bit to it, which is kind of something fresh that I thought was cool. Yeah. And I, I've worked with you before. I know you can sing your ass off. I know how the, you can write and stuff. So I was like, dude, it'll be so easy. And the first song we did in like half a day. Yeah. And I was like, if that's how long it takes per song, <laughs> we can do it. Each one's different, obviously. What, what was that Ashley that we did first? Yeah. yeah. Dude, Gavin, we did, we literally did Ashley in a half a day's work and it was like just done and needed to be polished. Like, and so, ev and most every time that we're in the studio, it's just so fun for us and, na and just natural. I want to be like, a fly on the wall so bad. Cause like Ashley's come like, to a session. I, I would love to. Dude, love come to. to a session. Yeah. Uh, what, what it's called that you dip with? What's zen. it called? Zen. <laughs> bring a Zen. Yeah, bring, bring a Zen, zen yeah. and fucking just chill. Bring, bring a lip pillow and just chill. <laughs> bring oh a my, lip pillow and just oh chill, God. dude. What's up, E&D lovers? It's your boy Matt here to tell you, if you need a new shirt, support the little guys and buy our merch. This right here is the Mosh Tee. It says emo is not dead in metal text. Pretty sick, huh? Oh, and this one? This is the Inferno Tee. It's a half-dead, scorching hot eagle. Who doesn't love eagles? This is our Sad Kids Society hoodie. We're actually having trouble keeping this one in stock. Check out the back on this bad boy. <sighs> this is the Mourn Me Long Sleeve. It's got long sleeves to cover up those hideous tattoos we accidentally get. This sleeve's covering up my ex-girlfriend's name. Check out the back on this bad boy. And for our people who want to keep it a little bit more simple and classic, our E&D signature range. Quality fabrics, premium fit. So head to emosnotdead.com, use the discount code podcast, and support the little guy for once. It's funny to hear that you were working with Selena Gomez, getting these gigs with like pop 
radio, Britney Spears, and then you're like, I'm going to go do this joke kind of band thing, right. and it ends up popping off. Like, was it really just the history you had with Matt that made you want to work with him? I just I saw some of the videos that you were doing too, and I was just like, all right, this is I lo- I just loved the character with the black hair. And oh I was yeah, just like this dude. And I was like, I completely get who that guy is. Yeah, and I think we all were that guy a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, I think it would just be a fun project to be a part of. And I, I love that style of music. And that's like what I grew up on and what we all kind of grew up on. So Yeah, but Goldstein truly knows the scene. And when we're in our sessions and, and thinking about who we're going to feature on songs or even the crews, like I even, we were in the session one day and we took a break from re- recording our song to discuss who would be good for the crews. Right. And I, and Goldstein was like, what about so-and-so? I'm like, oh, they would be great. And so like he's helped even curate some of that it's stuff the too. Kno- it's the knowledge. And also, like, with emo, there's also, like, a, a lot of different things that have occurred in the last, like, even five years of what emo means. Mm-hmm. So, like, emo, there's, like, one school that's, like, the late 80s, early 90s, like, grungy stuff. There's DC stuff hardcore. There. DC hardcore. There's, like, the the American football stuff, uh, like, piebald that era, mm-hmm. um, Sunny Day Real Estate. Right. Then as you move forward... Like, I remember even, like, throughout the eras, I remember, like, when I first started listening to Blink-182 and I was, like, 13 or something, everyone's like, this isn't, like, punk. And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I don't, I'm, like, a, a little kid. I was like, I just like the music and, and it's cool. You can, like, I'm learning how to play guitar and you can kind of play the songs because yeah. they're, not, they're not very complicated riff-wise. So it was, like, really enticing to learn it and it's super catchy and it was melodically pleasing and i thought it was just good songs to listen to Mm -hmm. but people were calling that not punk and then it like it was and then like later it's like now like emo is like all encompassing of like myspace era any kind of like music that that revolves around that screamo metalcore to like acoustic music to rock to pop punk to power pop to synth pop it's like it's kind of just a synonym for if you play an instrument in a band Right. <laughs> like almost like it, there's rock and roll, there's there's rock and then there's the new rock stuff. But then indie folk and like what you would call like uh, mall emo or whatever, mm. like like Taking Back Sunday, like that's just alt rock that mm. got slapped on a label. Right. And and, you know, emo has become in la- the last five years, in my mind, like an umbrella for all of all of it yeah all of the above anything that had a hot topic t-shirt yeah. can also be so true emo. yeah <laughs> it's like, like it boys everything. and friday you know yeah like your guys's music i would never have considered emo until probably two years ago <laughs> you know even though you guys looked the part it, right. it was very you know but now it is it, the thing is it just fits the vibe and feels so much because it's kind of like whatever would be popular in myspace back then is emo yeah. it's kind of it's almost like that right you know, like if there were if there were live instruments and it was and it was because even like Metro Station bands like that, they will blast that at emo night and people freak out for it. Totally. But it's not it's it's qualified under the emo umbrella. Mm-hmm. It is it is essentially emo. It's kind of just any of that genre throughout time and it's morphed over the years. Right. But it also means something if you're in your 20s. It means something different than if you're in your 30s or in your 40s or like... Dude, let me ask you this question because I've always, I'm always interested in, on who writes songs and I'll literally on Spotify, if I, like a song, if I like a song, I will always click to see who wrote it. There are some pop songs. Like I saw the other day, I clicked on like a Chris Brown, uh, poppy R&B song, rap song, and it literally had like 16 writers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of mega pop songs surprisingly have... 15, 11, 10, like so many writers. How does that even happen? 
Like, does it just get passed around? Does the song start somewhere and then it goes to a producer with two other people and then those people pass it? Like, how would a song eventually have 15, 16 writers? Um, that is one of the ways. Like, you know, sometimes someone will write just a chorus. And they'll be like, I really like this chorus. Let's send it to these people to see if they can write verses. The artist works with someone, whatever. This producer messes with it. The other thing is there's there's things that are like sample packs and sample based. So somebody might just be like a guitar player and make a bunch of guitar loops. They send their sample pack to a producer. The producer checks through it. Oh, I can make a beat out of this. Some Someone does drums or someone does something else. They pass it to someone else. The other part is samples. So um, interpolating a sample, which would be taking a song that's out that, that's existed and singing something, a similar melody or the same lyrics, mm. or taking the actual recording and putting it in the song and using that as a, as a basis for, so, for the song. So then do all the credits on the original song end up on... Yeah. Wow. Whoever owns those credits now. So I bet you there's a lot of samples in that Chris Brown track that you were looking yeah. at. So some oh, okay. some yeah, songs yeah. will have some songs can have two to three samples in them. So if you see twenty writers, it's not that twenty people were in a room or that it was passed around necessarily. There might be one song that had five writers, and the other sample had six writers or seven writers, and then whoever else did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes more depending yeah. on stuff. Damn. And sometimes the samples. Sometimes that's taken from something else. Yep. So there's like combined with even more. <laughs> it's it's crazy how complicated the behind the scenes can be. Dude, it is so complicated. I still <laughs> I still don't have it figured out. Like no. publishing. Yes. BMI, well, the royalties. Revenue, royalties. Dude, it's funny. So Gavin is managing the E&D project, as you know. And mm-hmm. so like I don't need a music manager. So Gavin's just learned how to do it. So Gavin's Poorly. been the Yorba Can Hero music manager, and you're doing a great job. Thanks. You're his manager yeah. for Yorba Can Hero? I guess so. Dude, he's <laughs> yeah. managing one of the biggest bands out there. <laughs> it's crazy. How do you handle this guy? The largest. Golting just drops me. doesn't want to do the album anymore. He's like, you're the manager? I'm out of here. Hey, boys. Sorry to interrupt your podcast, but I have some exciting cruise news. The E&D Cruise Year 2 is completely sold out. However, we do have a cruise cabin for two that we will be giving away to one lucky YouTube subscriber. Just make sure you're subscribed to our channel, like our videos, and let's see you in the comments. We're going to scroll through the comments and pick one of you guys to give a cruise to. That's all the news I have for today. Have a great show, guys. Okay, so circling back to Friday Night Boys, your first successful band that you were in. Uh, I know it got a little hot in here, so... We let Andrew yeah, uh, take, take the it, off. rip the top off. To reveal um, another E&D shirt. That's right. <laughs> not like we gave him E&D stuff to wear on that set. That sounds so much no, of it. It's, it's crazy. natural. Uh, uh, by the way, not just plugging it, that shirt actually looks really sick on you. Thanks. Like, no, like I'm not kidding. With your hair, it's the same kind of font as your hair in a weird way. <laughs> and it looks so it's like dope. Death metal font. Dude, it looks font. sick, bro. Look this thing. It's the same font as your it's hair. It's the same font as your hair, and it's, and it's sick. <laughs> We had, it is a matching font, really. It is. <laughs> That's awesome. It's funny because it says emo's not dead, but you can't really tell. Yeah. But anyway, it looks good. <laughs> um, no, so back to Friday Night Boys. Where, um, was Did It Boys inspire Friday Night Boys? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even get there. It's really wild because everyone always, always asks me this question. They're like, which one came first? And that's kind of like the conspiracy flying around. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's a thing. Which came first? Was it It Boys or Friday Night Boys? No one knows. Nobody knows yeah. which came first. If you can figure it out. It's so annoying. Know. Fans but. out there, if you can figure it out, was it It Boys or Friday Night Boys? <laughs> we'll never who inspired know. inspired who? We'll never know. 
Um, uh, so, <laughs> so moving on. Matt's like, yeah, when I inspired you, ta- I taught that kid everything. Knows, I taught man. that kid everything. So, so moving past, moving past Friday Night Boys, you produced three songs on the It Boys album. Was was Matt your first industry plant you worked with? I wasn't an industry plant. You were. You guys no. were like sort of. Though. I was, dude. We were. We had no label. I was grinding. I put the guys together. He keeps he keeps calling me an industry plant in these freaking podcasts. So manufactured. Was, <laughs> it was so manufactured. You guys are all like you guys all looked good. You guys all had like it was hard to get like a band that like looked cohesive too because like everyone wants their own style or something. But you guys were like we're all dressing the same. We're all gonna have like the same hair. This is the vibe, and it's really weird because that screams industry plant. Yeah. No, it does. It yeah. does. I think Hollister put you guys. I just up don't to think it. there was like a industry to plant anything behind what you guys were yeah, doing. There, there really wasn't. <laughs> it was just, you know, <laughs> they were trying to come off as an industry plant. We, you know what's weird, though? You guys aren't wrong. We were just so corporate about our, our the business behind it. And then we're like, we came from the Warped Tour scene. We love those bands. How do we make a mainstream band work but be polished and be as big as the Jonas Brothers. Right. I, I shared that on our last podcast that that's what we wanted to be. But Gavin loves calling me an industry plant, and <laughs> I will never not believe. I, that I it will. Wasn't. I will say thank you. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. Does 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 it matter though? If you get a, do you get any uh, inclination about like, oh, this is this person authentic when they're writing when you're writing or, or recording music with them? I mean, does that even come into your head? People come from all kinds of backgrounds. Like some people, like their parents are musicians or like maybe they're, you know, like relatives are really close friends with a really big musician or they come from nothing or they're just some random person. My only really gauge is if I like the music and I like the artist or really? the band or whatever. If it's cool music, I honestly don't, you know, like you can weigh whatever you want or like what you think the stuff is. But if, I think if they're making authentic music, that's what matters most. And you're at the point where you can choose. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I, I would definitely want to work with someone where I like their music. Right. Because, uh, and like, sometimes you you are surprised because sometimes I'll go in with someone where I'm not as familiar with the music. I've only listened to a couple songs or I don't know their full story. And then um, it's actually really interesting or I really connect with them creatively or I really get a vibe or you really create well. Is that what happened with Celine Dion? <laughs> <laughs> that was when, so that was when I was signed to the, the producer E-Man that I used to be signed to. And he was like, uh, we had written a song, the way it came about, we wrote a song with Neo. Uh, Celine Dion was looking for songs. So the guy I was working with sent it to her team or her label. And they're like, we really like this song and we want it to be Celine Dion featuring Neo. So it was both of them together on one song. That's sick. Dude, you wrote on a Celine Dion song. That is, cr- that's wild. The queen it's of really Canada. <laughs> Dude, I mean, she's amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, and she's the, amazing. the coolest chillest so lovely to work with really because like someone of you like went, that you stature, worked you went and worked with her yeah we went to vegas and because she was doing her show there at the time so we tracked her vocals in vegas dude that's crazy. i mean were you were you nervous oh my god yeah you, right shitting myself yeah dude but it was like i mean she was so disarming learned knew everyone's name in the room the nicest the coolest the most professional willing to be in the booth just like chill as hell it was did awesome. you ever give her any tips when she was in the booth on how to sing it a certain way no yeah um i love <laughs> okay. if there was anything yeah. i let the guy i was signed to email let him say let him if he say needed, it. we barely needed to say anything though she was awesome damn it was dude. cool though but it, it kind of like led to like some of the people that you work with that are legacy you know that have been around have had multiple eras of hits and stuff a lot of times they're like some of the most 
down to earth, chill people because they've been through the peaks and valleys Mm -hmm. of like massive success failures uh, dozens and dozens of times. So like when you're hot, you know, some people, you know, it's easy to get an ego or be whatever, think Mm -hmm. that you're something cool. But when you're low and you still have that thing with you, it's, it's off putting to a lot of people. You don't want to, you know, so I think when people go through those experiences, they like, you know, you adjust to it and you're just like, it's probably easier if I'm just chill the whole time, no matter how good or how bad stuff is. It's a good lesson with anything. Yeah. Cause like, if you're like, you know, like any time in your life path, there's times where you're doing good and there's times where you're not. But if you need help with something like, I'm, I don't know about you guys, I'm probably, sh- you're probably the same way, but it's like, if someone's not doing well, but they were always a nice dude or a nice person, I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll help that person. Yeah, out. totally. Whatever. No, they you're right. Cool. Be kind. Being nice goes a long it way. It goes a long way. Especially in the industry. Yes, like, it really people does. People just want to be around cool, like people that are chill, nice, like, and talented. Yeah. Are you, are you with where the, where the industry for music is going? Are you at all concerned where it's going and by you as a songwriter, maybe seeing less money because Spotify and, and Apple music and the cuts are so low for the songwriters? Like, are you at all concerned with where it's going? And especially Gavin had a good question and I'll, I'll just ask it right now. Um, what's the AI writing thing that's going on? Chat GPT. Yeah. Yeah. Gavin was. Yeah, the AI. Like, I mean, that's like yeah, that's a big combo right now. Is yeah, is, like what's the AI aspect of all this? Yeah, because I believe that AI will be able to curate Doctor Luke worthy pop hits. Right? right? Yeah, it, it, like, AI could have definitely made rooftops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I think it was too artistically advanced yeah, AI for an AI never to do It Boy's rooftops. A little honestly. too eclectic. <laughs> yeah, it was like way too many influences and brilliant human <laughs> artistry to like really. Get in there. How many streams does rooftops have? I'll I'll pull it up. Uh, We might be at like a hundred thousand now. (laughs) But but ChatGPT is. (laughs) We might be at a hundred thousand now, dude. That's That's not bad. How much did that make? Uh, Let's find out. How much did it? What a hundred thousand rooftops? Your third biggest stream. It was one hundred forty thousand streams, dude. On Spotify, that's not bad. (laughs) That's a couple hundred bucks. So whatever label thing you had off Spotify has made like four hundred bucks or something. The what thing? Whatever label. label. Was that was signed? Oh, to Century Media. Yeah. Why <laughs> the hell is there two hundred and twelve thousand monthly listeners on for it, it boys? boys? It's still a thing. What is Friday Night Boys at? Probably less than that. Well, I know, but by the way, I know why It Boys has. I, I told you this: the Gotcha Life thing on YouTube. Did I tell you about that? Wait, what? No. So, um, I've already told the fans, so I'll make the long story short. But the song "Guys Don't Like Me" got popular again about four, three or four years ago on YouTube because young kids that were like 12, 11, 12, 13, like are those tweens, I guess, yeah. um, practically young teenagers, were discovered. Guys don't like me, and and would do animated, would like create animated things and put them on. This is my best way of explaining. It. It's really difficult. They'd create animation and they'd put it on YouTube and it would be an animated story and they would use Guys Don't Like Me as the soundtrack because of the lyrics. And the reason I discovered this is my friend who's like 40 years old, she hit me up and she goes, this is so random, but my daughter is 13. (laughs) And she literally plugged in her phone and she put on Guys Don't Like Me on the way to school. And she goes, I know if guys don't like me because I've known you forever and oh I remember your old band. And I said, honey, what are you listening to? She goes, oh, it's It Boys, Guys Don't Like Me. This is about three years ago when, when she hit me up. And she's like, how do you know that song? And she goes, oh, me and my friends use it for Gotcha Life. 
And it's and all these younger kids fell in love with Guys Don't Like Me and started using that song for their animated characters. It's it's freaking weird. And it's back to Matt's point that It Boys is a generational legacy. And it's, act. And Thank it's back, you. And <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> and it's back to my point that he's an industry plant. And yeah. gotcha. They, it's a long play. <laughs> it's a long <laughs> play, dude. Oh, They're trying to no. get their they money set, back. They set on up that. that. They, set they set up that. You're thing. right. They set up. And, and the industry trying to get their money <laughs> back. <laughs> They're trying to get their money back. <laughs> on their loss. <laughs> on, on gotcha. A known. Stop. Nobody, nobody plays this game except oh. for eight year olds. Oh, my God. Um, so, so. You've written so many songs. Do numbers measure success for you when you when you look back at your catalog? Do you, do you does the artistry play into it? How do you look at a success of a song? Um, I mean, I try. I really try not to see that that part of it because it can be soul sucking too. Because it's like sometimes a song you aren't that emotionally connected to might do well. Sometimes a song you're obsessed with and is like your life's meaning and like whatever it is could do absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like what Rick Rubin says, where it's like, you just, you make what you make. Do and then once it's out, that's, it's just up to the, the world, whatever yeah. happens. But it is tough. Cause like with accolades, you are measured by the success of something, mm-hmm. even though, you know, it, anything could happen and you don't know. Cause some songs, especially nowadays, like songs that are like six years old, randomly blow up from a TikTok thing or a live thing or whatever. And then it becomes a hit. You're like, wow, Mm-hmm. That was a good song, even though it didn't do anything back then. Dude, you know, was it tonight tonight that that blew up for Hot Shell Ray? That was their first big, their first big. Did you hit. write that one too? No, I just produced on that one. The second one I did called "I Like It Like That." I, oh, I wrote that. With I like the band. it like that. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, I remember that one. So, <laughs> so to, on tonight after the, after this, can you just do like a full performance of that? Hundred percent. I yeah. would love to. <laughs> no, but my question because you like you're saying some songs will re blow up or. Mm-hmm that didn't blow up, we'll get a second chance. I heard that Tonight Tonight was released and then a year later became popular and became like a summer anthem. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how true that... Did you hear about that at all? Um, it was released the summer before it became popular, didn't do anything that summer, and just something happened. And then they ran a radio campaign for it the summer after, and then mm-hmm. it popped off. With new artists in that era, the early 2010s, it still happens now. But like, if you had a, a newer <laughs> band that wasn't in the pop scene or like celebrity status or whatever it took a very long time to get exposure so you're like slowly slowly climbing the radio charts slowly building the touring slowly building the marketing campaigns and seeing if something ramps up so you see little signals along the way yeah so if there's like oh like all right the song came out it's doing okay but like it looks like it's increasing a little bit even if it's like a couple hundred streams or a couple thousand streams whatever and you can see a thing and then if you like dump more promo or try other things there's a multitude of things that could keep it moving. But at that point, to do a radio campaign with a brand new artist, it usually took, a, and especially if they didn't have like a huge fandom yet, mm-hmm. it, it took a very long time. Could take six mm-hmm. months, a year, 18 months, just to like, you know, it starts at 120 at top 40 and you get a couple stations until you zero in on the, the main markets and try to get the spins there. And then that's based on, you know, same thing as Spotify, which is the, you know, the skip rate, the click rate, whatever it is. Mm-hmm where they have all the algorithms to, to determine how people are listening to the music. So with radio, there's a, it's a little different now, but at that time there was a lot of like radio research. Like when people spin the dial, they do call out, they called people to see if, what songs they liked. Mm. And if they, it got a high rating, that would be a sign that this could potentially be a hit because a lot of people like it. Got it. So they would do the same thing just in a different in way. In a different way. So they would oh, like, uh, you know, like eight out of 10 people said the song was really favorable. So we're going to play it some more or we're going to add it to the it. station. 
Damn. And those are extremely expensive. I mean, radios, those campaigns are extremely expensive. $200,000 plus to, to run a radio campaign? Or it, at least it can they be were. anything. I don't. I don't really know what it is, but I mean, it's extremely expensive to get a song up up to the charts without it being, even with it being an A list artist. But it's like it just takes yeah. a long time, a lot of money because yeah. it's like, you know, you're trying to get these stations that are trying to get ad revenue. Yeah. So they want something that a lot of people are going to listen to in order to charge for the ads. Sometimes I wonder. Like I know Gavin's a marketing guy. I'm way less marketing and just content creation. But sometimes I wonder with our songs that we're doing, like the indie fans are great. They support it. They like it. They share it. So it does pretty well on, on video, but nothing touches radio. And I know that our songs aren't necessarily tailored for radio. I know Girl Like You that we just did, is it, that sounds the most radio. So mm -hmm. we'll see what happens. But like, how would we even go to be like, hey, radio, do you want to play our song? Like, wh when does that happen? Does it, does it organically happen? Or is it a label that just sends your song to their relationships at radio and then radio puts it on. Well, now radio is like, a, it has a different relevance than it did, let's say 10 years ago, um, just because of streaming and, and social media and TikTok and stuff. So like that stuff, I mean, you can have a song, you can have an insanely successful song without having any radio at all. Yeah. Just based on the streaming and the social media stuff. And if you want to add that aspect in, I mean, if you did it independently, you'd need a third party um, promoter or like yeah. someone to do that. I don't, I don't, I'm not too sure on the inner workings of how that works exactly, yeah. but, um, and that's the problem. It's a black box. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. It's a black box. Like yeah. you could be in the industry and you have no idea what happens to your product. Dude, after most you people. Give it. So with writing, there's also like publishing deals. Mm -hmm. So like I didn't even realize this until later on <laughs> in my career thus far. But, um, a lot of times when you're a songwriter, um, and maybe you get some songs that come out or whatever, what happens is a publishing company approaches you and what they do is they give you an advance in exchange for a percentage of your royalties. Right. So, and they can help with your scheduling. They can help with putting you in with writers, getting your songs placed, getting them on TV and film, whatever that might be. But the same thing, like you were saying with the contracts, there's a lot of stuff that nobody really knows. And even the people that work at the publishing companies probably don't know either. Right. Cause it's all lawyer stuff. Yeah. So, um, like with that, it's like you, you have, it's like a, it's weird. It's like a 200% pie. So you have a hundred percent is your songwriting royalty and a hundred percent is your publishing 50, 50, but it's easier for you to break it down this way. So like if you and me wrote a song, I would have 50% songwriting credit. You would have 50% songwriting credit. And then I would have my full publishing rate on that 50%. So what the publishing company does is buy out part of a quarter of your pie usually, mm -hmm. which is a co-publishing deal, which is 50% of your publishing royalties, 25% of your total earnings of the mm -hmm. thing. They give you an advance, which is, helps you, you know, especially if you're up and coming, it helps you survive for a bit, but mm -hmm. it's essentially like a bank. So it's like a loan yep. you pay back based on that. So the thing, I don't know if I should say this stuff. No, <laughs> whatever. Uh, it's helpful, dude. Like so, it just, I yeah. mean, so the, the, the thing that I learned later on in my career is like, recouping which every band does every artist does and songwriters do it as well so they give you an advance um and you have to make back the money yep and then once you make back the money they so when you're making back the money they take a hundred percent of your publishing cut and then once you make it back it goes back to 50. but mm. the recouping and it's the same thing with any kind of deal is not like all right i got a ten thousand dollar advance 
So once I generate $10,000 in the publishing, I will be recouped. It is not how it works. Up there in the jargon, a portion of it goes to the recoup and a portion of it goes to the, the profit because yeah. they have to be profiting as you're doing it, like any kind of loan, really, like interest loan or whatever. <clears throat> so you might, you have to make more than that yep. to recoup. And the, I think music videos, like, it's like paying off a mortgage or something. For, yeah. For yeah. Music videos count in that recouping, like any, any Anything photo travel, travel, whatever. And they can just tack it on if you're cool with that. Yeah. But it's like, you gotta but, keep an eye on expenses. Yeah. Like you have to totally. So it's, it's a, it's like a, it's something I didn't realize until later on. I was like, Oh, but I should be recouped. And I was like, Oh no, it's split up differently. Yep. And then you have the total amount you have to generate is like usually between 2.5 to four times the amount you got Yeah. to, to recoup. It's crazy. Sheesh. It's tough, man. It's crazy. <laughs> like, and by the way, like, that's why you should become a songwriter. That's guy. Why you, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> no, but I was going to say, so like, would you say the majority of how you, I know that, you're not surviving now because you're a successful songwriter and you have successful songs. However, the consistent check for you is the producing fee, right? When you do, when you do production for a band, uh, the label essentially, if they're signed to a label, will pay you a production fee for the day or for the song per song for the song. So per they're song. they're buying the master recording off you. So you created the recording. They're buying the recording off you, and then when you get percentage points, once that recoups. Like once that makes enough money, you get your percentage points on the master. Got it. If you're a producer, and then there's a whole other argument about songwriters don't get producer point or production or points, mm-hmm. and uh, and they should because they're still a part of the song. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 bizarre. So essentially, they're paying you for the master recording. Okay. And uh, then you give them or the mixer or whatever you give yeah. them the files of the master recording, and that's what they're purchasing. Damn. So wild. Okay, so of all the songs that you've written, which song surprised you and performed better than you thought it would after it was done? Do you have one that you're like, you wrote it with someone else, and you're like, it's pretty good, and it just took off? Do you have anything like that? Um, or, or not even like, maybe you thought it was great, but you were surprised at how great it did. Oh, um, one I was really not sure about was uh, early on MKTO Classic. I knew the song was... I forgot you did that one. That was huge. So that was me with... uh, I co-wrote it with three other people and I co-produced it. Um, And uh, they were a brand new band at the time. So I knew the song was really awesome. I loved the song. I thought it was like a cool kind of catchy song. Um, But I just didn't know with that artist being a brand new artist, what could happen. For sure. And it it ended up being a hit, which was great. But I, I had no idea what that was going to look like. Do you and know that since you're a writer on it, do you know the streams that it has now? Um, it's over a billion, I think, now. It ha- but it that's, like, that's just Spotify, right? Yeah. No, it's, dude, it's over a billion. Remember, remember the song Classic? Yeah. MKTO? Because I still don't know what the band guys look like. I've only heard that song by them, which to your point, they were a new artist. Mm-hmm. But that song was huge. I had zero clue until recently that you did that song. Um, <laughs> nice. But like, Wow. Huge. That's it also huge. had like a resurgence a year and a half ago on TikTok a little bit Got that it. I think contributed to the streaming as well. It had like some sort of trend Does thing. TikTok and, and those 15 second dance clips or whatever clips that people do with songs, does that influence your songwriting now? Like as the technology changes, when streaming came in, did that influence how you how you wrote songs, release songs, and then TikTok, has that changed? Like, Or do you just stick straight to writing a good song? Um, I think there's obviously trends with like song structure, how 
where the chorus comes, how wordy it is, how complicated it is. There, there, there's obviously overlying themes with pop uh, where it's like you need something that you're, I always say it's like something my mom could understand and something that a five-year-old could understand as well. Right. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. There's places and times for that. Um, it definitely depends on the artist and the, or the band or whatever it might be. Um, is this someone who has a, it, a lot of their business is done on TikTok? Then you want to frame it in ways or like find the really catchy parts. And some artists write that way too. They're like, all right, like most of my fans are on TikTok. I should write something that can be consumed on TikTok or a clip that's going to resonate with my fans on TikTok. Um, you obviously don't want that to be the way you write music because you want it to be meaningful. You want it to be a, a clever concept, uh, something that's extremely relatable or like at least relatable to that person that's performing it. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know a lot, but I mean, there's people that are massively more <clears throat> successful than me that can have a better right. grasp of that. Really but, quick, uh, you, you touched on something uh, earlier in that statement. You, you said that you, you want it to be a song that a five-year-old or your mom could understand. Mm -hmm. And I'm clued into Swedish songwriters being very successful in the U.S. because of the broken English. Have you heard about this? Oh, so like the English is more simple, yeah? Well, the, yeah, their English is more simple and like songs like Hit Me Baby One More Time is actually Call Me Baby One More Time, but the translation got messed up, never got fixed, and it was a hit. Oh, like Hit Me Up. Yeah, Hit Me Up mm. or Call Me. But it, same, the, yes. same with I Want It That Way Yep. by Backstreet Boys. Yep. There was a Swedish producer or songwriter. It's the same was guy. It Max, it's Martin. Max Martin. Yeah, yeah the, he did Britney, Yeah, he did a lot of Britney Spears, a lot of the boy band stuff. Yeah. He's like the greatest pop songwriter of all time. It, Max Martin. Mm. Yeah. And you've written with... Or like revered is that, I would say. You've written with Britney. <laughs> uh, she just recorded a song I did. Oh, nice. I didn't write with her in okay. the room. <laughs> Dang. I was going to ask you if she was a clone. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> got it. Maybe. 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 We got to make what data point do you have? That you say? <laughs> it's a shot in the dark. Okay. Yeah. Just a get a hunch. Yeah. Got it. That is pretty insane that you had a sheet that Britney Spears tracked a song that you wrote. That's crazy. It was very bizarre. So it was a co-write I had with three other people. We just like wrote a song that day. And one of the writers was like, I know Britney is looking for like one more, two more songs. So I'm going to send it to her A&R, send it in. It was like one of the easier processes I've seen. Um, sent it in. She liked it. She was in Vegas doing her show. She has like her own vocal producer there. She recorded the song. Um, and then like two months later, I think it came out. Rad. On her album, it was just like a track on her album. Rad. Um, called Love Me Down. Love like Me Down. Seven or nine or something. We got to listen, listen to Love that. Me Down. Yeah, I want to <laughs> hear that one. Damn, that's what an iconic moment. So next question is pretty important. Um, French Kiss, Mary Kill, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. And sorry to ask you these real personal questions, but we just oh got to get into it. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, oh, God. Okay. I don't know. Um, I guess <laughs> I guess maybe... Wait, Mary Kill. Okay. Mary Fuck Kill. I guess... Uh, I don't know, dude. Those are all the <laughs> controversial people. <laughs> Let's do it. I'll go first. I'll Okay. I'll go first. Um, <laughs> I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna marry Elon Musk. Okay. I feel like I'd be happy with him. Yeah. Um I think I'm gonna get I think I'm gonna get rid of Zuck. And I think I'm gonna have a wild night with Bezos. Oh, interesting. We're just gonna we're gonna go do some shit on his private jet, go to one of his private islands, you know what I'm saying? Interesting. Just have a little fling out there. I really wanna hear Goldstein. <laughs> I think 
Whoever you say kill you might die tomorrow regardless. Yeah, Whoever. yeah, yeah actually, you're right. Let's bleep me saying kill so I don't actually get killed for saying that. Um, oh, man. Maybe, uh, maybe marry Jeff Bezos. Nice. I mean, I don't know. Mark Zuckerberg... He's got the not, alien. Not, well, he's got the gonna, alien robot thing going on. He's a Elon lizard person for sure. Is an extremely controversial character. Yeah. So I guess kill him. I don't know. Okay. All right. See, so I was, was also wait. You want a French Elon Musk then? No, no. Or kill, kill Elon. Elon. Oh, and you want French. a French, French duck? Yeah. Oh, you're gonna French kiss Zuckerberg? Wow. Let's go, dude. See, I would. I would have gone. <laughs> I would have gone Mary Bezos because I'm looking for that divorce money, baby. Yeah, but don't you want to be happy with... I mean, Musk has great money, too. You don't think if I had half of Bezos' cash, I wouldn't be happy? Yeah, though? you'd be happy. No, you're right. <laughs> you really have. You're right. Just for the divorce. Just for the divorce. The only As one. if if you married the other ones, you would be com- like not okay with what their sum of money is. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> yep. yep. Do we have any clue? I have no, I don't know if it's public information. Do we have any idea if Zuckerberg... Uh, sorry, not Zuckerberg. If Bezos got a prenup? Or did his wife get no, half No, she that? got half. Oh, she got half. Yeah. Holy shit. She got a shit. big paycheck. Wow. Yeah. Huge. Um, wow. The boxing thing or the, uh, the fight yeah. thing. And it's Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. Yes. If they, they should like do this all the time with people. Cause it's like celebrity death match it's, from yep. MTV, except in real life. Yep. We've Think reached about full, how sick that would be. We've reached full idiocracy. If this happens, if we're, if we're putting our billionaires in a fighting ring, like people like that are like loved and hated. Yep. And they're like, especially if they're nemesis, like vibes, it could be, very fun. Is this Zuckerberg fighting Elon. Uh, Elon thing? How real is it? I know. I know Elon Musk has a personality on Twitter, and he'll gladly just jump in and and like egg it on. But has Zuckerberg said anything back about it? Oh yeah, they Zuckerberg was down. Elon said that his mom wouldn't let him do it, so he's kind of backpedaling a little bit. But from what I've, I mean, everyone's training. Everyone's posting pictures with UFC no fighters. Yeah, way. It, I think it might happen eventually. Wait, but like. Just for them to have the fun of, uh, just for them to have a fun of it. I think we hate billionaires so much that this is one of the most entertaining things that could ever happen on TV. No, dude, the, the streams would be insane. insane. They said a billion. <laughs> they said a billion dollar pay per view is what it would get out. Yeah, a billion dollar pay per view. I believe it. Just crazy. Damn. Well, and I they wa- should donate it to charity. Yes, they should. So, what? <laughs> what is? I mean, honestly, they ha- they have to, dude. By the way, if they don't donate that to charity. That's just horrible <laughs> I mean, people. Listen, it's no gonna, one, none of them care about that. It, yeah, like no. I mean, they care about charity, but like none of them be like, "No, I want the money." Like they're not gonna. Care. Well, I, no, I kn- yeah. no, I know they don't care about making the money for it, but I'm, I, I, yeah, I guess they better not keep the money. Yeah, wild, wild Jeez. times. So I saw, I saw this thing the other day, and it was saying, uh, for one billion dollars, it was broken down into how much a one billion dollars is, how much you have to make per day. Oh yeah, and then it was by day, then it was by hour, then it was by minute. And it was so extreme. I forgot what it was. Um, it's incredible. It's an, I've seen. It's the same a thing. wild number where I'm just making this up, but it's like every single minute, five grand, five grand, five grand, something like that, mm-hmm. right? Maybe even it was more. more. It was more. And it blows my mind when you have. It was this YouTube think video that I watched, and this guy was saying there are 200 and something billionaires out there, and he said to solve world hunger and homelessness, it would cost this amount of billions of dollars, which means each billionaire only has to donate and it was like point it was like one percent of their money yeah. something crazy mm. to literally like solve homelessness and world hunger and what blows my mind is 
what really happens when they get to the mega billions to where they they want more? Speaking of the CIA, <laughs> does, Just does like I know something about that. does does you know the CIA has? I'm an expert on this stuff, man. What's up? <laughs> the CIA has involvement in the Holly in Hollywood, you know, and they they sometimes will influence movies that are made um, and and steer narratives. Have you ever been approached by a government organization about the songs you're writing? Okay. I'm not big enough for that. You had to ask. I had to ask. I mean, it's not every day that I get to have this combo. So I, uh, hold on. You ever heard of anyone? No, I've never heard of anyone about okay. that. No, no, never, ever, ever in my life. Sam Smith isn't, doesn't have an... <laughs> oh, I guess no, I have no idea what you're Oh, my God. Goldstein? <laughs> Why would they hit me up? <laughs> well, because they, they need another rooftop. Like, you're like a rocker pop. They, all, yeah, they need another rooftop. I forgot you, dude. I hate oh, you guys. my God. <laughs> oh, my God. They need the next... How are we going to make more money off it, boys? <laughs> yeah, exactly. they need the next rooftop. Question on aliens. Who do you think, from a celebrity or musician standpoint, could be possibly an alien? <laughs> who could be an alien? Yeah, like if you had a guess, like this person's an alien, who is it? Um, Man, that's hard to say. I have mine immediately. Tell me yours first. Mine's Elon Musk. Uh, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Alien? I do Lizard people or alien? Lizard person I don't believe alien? in li- lizard people. Okay. I believe in aliens. <laughs> and I think Wait, Elon you Musk... You don't believe in lizard <laughs> people? You, you, I don't. You've never. You never looked up a Garth. No, all that. All that conspiracy stuff is so weird to me. And like, to I, be to be honest, I, I think Andrew's been to a Garth, the dude. You think what? I've uh, been down there. I think he's been down there, bro. I, I told you. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Oh my god. I definitely. Yeah, it's definitely not there. You, you know what's weird? <laughs> In a weird way. We and started. I, I thought we were talking about it, boys. <laughs> yeah. Should we go we're back to the rooftop? Joe Rogan. Should we go shit? back to? <laughs> Oh my god! Um, <laughs> Wait, what, what's your favorite brand of girl jeans? <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. No, that's an actual um, question. We in had. the time, I think this is like the first time I bought. Uh, at the time, you couldn't get guys' jeans that were tight fitting, so you Correct. got girls' jeans. And like I remember seeing Taking Back Sunday wearing them. Like a bunch of the emo bands are wearing them. Uh, American Eagle, <laughs> the first the, the boyfriend bootcuts. The yeah, the, you had like flared yes, pants. The boyfriend boots, and then they cuts. made wow. like the tight leg, like the skinny leg ones. What size did you wear? I think it, I was a lot uh, s- smaller, skinnier of a person back then. But uh, I think I was a size eight. Oh really? Yeah, I was a size two Damn. in American Eagle bootcut boyfriend bootcut jeans. Oh my god! Wait, you were a two? I was a size two. That's tiny, bro. I was dude. How how much did you weigh? Buck ten. What? No, really? I'm really like a hundred. No, but were you were you shorter? Too? Wait, <laughs> I was six two. You were six two, and I was sagging those things because they did oh, yeah. not lengthen them. So I was like, bro, ass cheeks out. Mm-hmm. Do you have pictures? Yeah. So can we show them right here on the screen? Yeah, I don't care. Okay, if we have them, let's show them on the screen yeah. right here. Yeah, guys, this is Gavin at whatever weight he just said. I was rocking his. <laughs> 18 years old, dude. Yeah, Damn. with the mop. No, you're the truth, dude. Yeah, it was fun. It was <laughs> the truth. No, you were the truth. You're the truth. No, bro, you were the truth, <laughs> he man. He was spitting facts earlier. <laughs> no, cold, hard facts. facts. <laughs> cold, hard facts. Um, so, so, Andrew, we, we want to ask, we ask every guest that comes on. <laughs> cold, hard facts, dude. I love your facts. I'm talking about fucking lizard people. <laughs> Dear Lord. <laughs> These are universal um, facts accepted by everyone. everyone. <laughs> Not um, just weird podcast people. Um, <laughs> so just kind of get a little bit on the serious side. Okay, let's come on. Let's get... The, we'll get to the next one. What's your... <laughs> no, no, but for real, what was... What were... 
the E and D fans, they love all they grew up on emo music. Who were the bands that you grew up? Who got you into emo music? <laughs> um I mean, I, I started I I liked like I guess I started in the pop punk realm first. Mm-hmm. Um where did you grow up? In Virginia, okay. Northern Virginia. So I was into like not as much hardcore stuff, but like pretty much like I was probably 11 or 12 and pop punk was going off. And I liked obviously like grunge stuff and like Oasis and that kind of like more like uh, universal rock kind of stuff. Pumpkins. Yeah, exactly. Stone Temple Pilots, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. But uh, yeah, like kind of that like Green Day, Blink-182, right? Like Green Day a little bit before, but like that rising up of the polished recordings. Mm -hmm. And I liked the the punk records, but um, once that era of like probably in 1999 or 2000 where people started the, the pop punk people started having really good sounding recordings, which was so impressive. Cause it was like singing with, you know, they have the auto tune going. So all the vocals are in tune, everything's lined up mm. and it didn't sound like a basement recording, which I liked those too. Um, and green day did a great job of that early on before the technology was available, just having it still sound punk, but like you could hear all the parts and you could, and the songs are great and stuff. Um, so it started there and then like shortly after that into the more emo stuff and screamo. Um, first, first band that screamed that you were, that you got into, like, do you re- remember who it oh, was? Oh, the first band that screamed under oath. Oh, it was under I oath? think, yeah. The, the, the early song with the old singer. Oh, with Dallas Taylor. Oh, yeah. the angel, uh, angel below. I don't know. What was the, uh, <laughs> uh, sun, sun still sleeps. sleeps or whatever. Yeah. yeah that song's I heard good. that. I was like, Oh, this is interesting. And then like, cause also like the people that dressed like, the pop punk people had started off with like the khaki shorts and the high socks and skateboarding stuff. Dickies and stuff. Yeah. And then like people were wearing the jeans and then like the metalcore hardcore people were like also dressing like the emo people. So if like you went to a show, you'd be like, Oh, here's like an emo pop punk band. And then like someone that kind of looks like that was also playing like, like crazy metalcore. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh shit, this is like, that's when the genre started coming together a little more, I think. Yeah. Um, it was just interesting. And I, and then I like got more into the uh, harder stuff for a little bit. And then like weird ambient rock than like the circus survive stuff. Yeah. And what was the harder stuff that you got into? Um, like when you first were like, Oh, I like the screaming shit. Oh, like, I liked the bled. Do you remember the them? bled is so yeah, good. good. Yeah. Gavin that, loves that the bled. record. That, uh, hotel. Um, what's the, uh, I'll pull it up. That one. Gavin was just talking about the blood red today. Wedding, red wedding. Yeah. I never, I never listened to them, and not just because I never, I heard the name, but I never dove in. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna check out the blood. Gut, gutter cool. shark and and I got in trouble for plagiarizing the blood in English class. I took their lyrics and I presented them as my own. <laughs> and I got, how did they find found out? Um, he Google. The teacher was like. No, this, this actually, sounds like the bled album. This, this is actually really funny. <laughs> this sounds like the bled. So this was like right when the internet started becoming accessible, um, not just dial-up. And Mr. Cornelius at Ashland High School, he Googled my my lyrics, and thankfully I had posted them on my blo- on my MySpace blog. And so he pulled it up, and I said, "No, dude, look, that date is after my date that I posted the blog." And he didn't go find other lyric websites. And so I got away with it. So oh, he shit. said. So he thought the blood ripped you off. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we need lyric inspiration. What? Was yeah. that tenth grader guy? <laughs> Whatever the fuck, dude. I, I got away. Maybe he knew. Maybe he knew I was full of shit. Oh, yeah, but I, I felt like I was. I was. Was it like a like, poetry literature yes. thing? Oh. Yeah. Stealing does feel pretty good. <laughs> no. What I've done in the comedy world is I'll see a, if I see a really funny idea, 
I have I have done a similar concept, but I'll tag them and say inspired by. Yeah. I don't do a I don't do a word for word like I'll be like, oh, that's actually a really funny idea, and I'll do that skit with Ariel, and I'll do inspired by. So you can go see the original. Mm. Got it. That's um, cool. I feel like that that's a whole new realm of stuff, like with the videos, like mm-hmm. especially like with when when you were on a uh, Vine, yeah. and then like going into Instagram video and TikTok, like who makes who has the rights to the concept mm-hmm. and and you don't right dude yeah. what bummed me out is when i was a smaller vine artist and i had smaller as in like i had like under 100,000 but there were people who had millions i got my ideas jacked all the time and some of them were word for word oh yeah like they took the exact script they cast a guy they cast a girl and and I would and that that would blow up and I'd be scrolling through and I would get tagged and say this is Matt Cutchels this is Matt Cutchels but they would delete those comments, and I would I would catch them and I'd be like this sucks they actually took my exact my line for and they made it popular so that's happened quite a few times. Have you ever caught someone stealing from you? Um, there's been like at the beginning when I started writing there was like one or two things that happened. Um, you beat where, them up. Yeah, yeah, and it ended in a, a fist fight, yeah. um, and I lost. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, the uh, I just see it. It's like you can't. Sometimes you have to eat shit, especially at the beginning. And once you get more established and you have the proper team with you, you can kind of handle it better. Yeah. But it happened to me with one song that ended up being a big hit early on, um, where there was like a I I didn't have like a, I don't even think I had a manager yet, and uh, something happened where somebody got the files I was working on and it got mixed up in a thing and then it became a hit for someone and I had like no ground to stand on pretty much. Damn. And, Ooh. uh, and it, the, the weirdest takeaway I was like, cause the, the, the person that did it, like there was like a different, you know, more established crew of people. And I was like, even if I was on this song, they wouldn't be like, Oh, he was on that song. They'd be like, Oh, it's the people that are super established probably did it. And this random dudes on it. And I saw it as like, okay, this sucks for sure. But, at least this was good enough for someone to use and it was a success. Right. So I know that like whatever, like the, I am at least capable of making something that could be successful. Right. And that's how I wow. tried to frame looking at it. Kind of validating. Yeah. And like looking back at it, especially now, it wouldn't have really changed the trajectory of anything in the, in the bigger picture. Yeah. Cause you mm. ended up crushing it no matter what. The, <laughs> the, the um, no matter what (laughs) yeah yeah literally um (laughs) um yeah so i just saw it as that like damn okay that's really i was like you never got any credit you never got any credit for it Mm -mm. no payment no credit Mm -hmm. no none of that how big was the song it was a number one (laughs) a number one radio hit Mm. and you can't say what song it was yeah oh my god dude what date was it The time, but I, it was like whatever, and I, and even if I like fought for it, maybe oh. I would have gotten five percent or something and been up to my neck in legal bills. But yeah, oh, man. at the time I just let it go, and I had to hit like six months later, so cool. it wasn't like oh my god, this was my one chance. And, and also like that does happen with people where you're like, you obviously want to be fair to everyone and try to include everyone, and then yeah. it's also a good lesson for later on. It's like damn, I definitely do not want to do that to someone if that yeah. were to happen. Right. So I usually try to you know like you want your team to pay close attention to everyone involved and not try to like screw people over or do yeah. something because if, if someone's, especially if someone's here to stay, you're going to run into them again and again. Uh-huh. Like, you know, with anything, it's yeah, like, totally see the same people over and over again. Some new people come in and you know, there's people you've been working with on and off for 10 years or five years or whatever. Yeah. So it's, you want to try to have good ethical practices the most, have the you, most part. Have you blacklisted the person that, that no, no. have you worked with them again? Um, I don't know if we've crossed paths again, oh. 
But, um, but I don't know. I'm not entirely sure it was them that were aware of what was happening. Right. I think it was like the middle people in, yeah. in, in, involved in it. Got mm-hmm. it. So I don't blame them, really. I think yeah. they were just like, whatever. That's, that's good. So I, this is honestly a question for me because I, I really like this band a lot. Um, you, did, you did a lot of work with Laney. Yes. Um, and did you do a whole album or just some of the album? Um, I did the whole album, the GGBBXX album. You did the whole album. You produced that whole album. Mm-hmm. Dude, it's a, that's, it's so good. Thanks, man. You crushed that. They're insanely talented people and they're like highly involved in the production, uh, production as well. Really? So it's kind of like a co-production with the band, you know? Yeah. So they're like, have ideas of how it should sound. They're like recording keyboard parts, trying vocal stuff, trying guitar stuff. Yeah. Trying drum stuff. Like it was, um... It was cool. That was really fun too. Yeah. Um, and I and you know I I'd listened to like some of their previous albums like years past. I'm like, man, that would be cool. And then the we had one session and it went well. And they're like, hey, let's try some more songs. And then it kind of went from there. I kind of want to switch gears a little bit because mm-hmm. I I haven't had this conversation with Matt yet, and I wanted yeah. to get it from you first. It was the the album was called Introduction. It was It Boy's Introduction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're talking about the when you list the greatest albums of all time? Yeah, okay, it's certain albums come to mind. <laughs> One in particular, Introduction by the It Boys. Um, how old is too old to be emo? How old is too old to be emo? I don't know. No, does it matter? I don't think it matters. I love the gray. I, I asked because of the grays. Uh, I mean, the grays. I've been are, going gray for since I was like mid twenties. Oh, really? I'm 37 now. I'm very old, dude. It's awesome that you have it still, and it's so gray. Thank you. Because I'm losing mine oh. like, so fast. It looks great. Thanks. Looks it does great. look great, and and I also I, I always tell Goldstein I love the grays. Like yeah. I, lo- I I think it's a it's a cool. It's a look. silver it fox. Looks, look. It's silver fox, and, and, and lo- it dies if you like dye it. Yeah. it's really easy. Because it's like already oh, yeah. like white. You don't have to pre-bleach it. Mm, that's probably why I'm going bald is because I did all that pre-bleaching before oh. the black dye. Did you pre-bleach I it wanted black it dye? black as fuck. Are you, are you going bald? A little it's, bit. It's just rece- it's starting to recede. <laughs> a huh? little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Um, no, but getting ac- back to my actual <laughs> real question. Um, I want to talk to you about the Your Broken Hero album. Okay. Because, you know, A Letter to Ashley came out as a one-off. And then uh, Tommy's Face came out again, similar as a one-off. And then we were like, okay, let's... Let's do an album. And so we do the Kickstarter. We get the funding. Fans were great. Um, and I, you know, I, I hear about you guys going to recording sessions. I've heard Girl Like You, fucking awesome hyper pop song. I'm really excited for that to come out. Pamela, also awesome. I'm curious what your vision is for the full album as a completed product, mm-hmm. or if you've thought about it in that in that regard, or if you're thinking about it in just making sure that the tracks check the boxes are good. Or if you're thinking about it as how they land next to each other and how they mm-hmm. will sequence. Usually it's a combination of both. So I think like when we're writing the songs, like we're, we're coming out with like a, we usually have like a plan for that day. So like when we were doing um, Red Light Kisser, we like started the vibe. And like when we were like halfway through writing it, we we're like, you know what, who would sound really good with this song is if we got Jordan from Newfound Glory on this. It kind of feels like that kind of vibe. So then as we're finishing out, we start kind of like envisioning what that would sound like. So that kind of helps take shape of the song. And I think each song is different. And it's kind of like we kind of like laid out the genre areas of the emo stuff that we wanted to check the boxes of. Mm -hmm. So it's like with Girl Like You, we wanted to do like that MySpace era synth pop hello goodbye kind of thing. Um, And then like you're saying with the song Pamela, it's like a little more of like a metalcore song meets like 
fallout boy, my chem sort of. Yep. So, and, and usually whenever we set out to do like, Oh, we're going to do a song like this. It always becomes a hodgepodge of like everything. We're like, Oh, what if the second verse sounded like taking back Sunday? And then randomly like we have like a screamo part and then it like goes pop punk and then it goes to the emo breakdown or like whatever it yep. is. So I'm, I'm really, I like just being in the flow. I don't try to think of it too logistically. Cause I just like, like having a good time making the music. And I feel like Matt does too. Mm -hmm. yep. So kind of just feeling the flow and having like a general plan. And then usually at the end, I'll, I'll like, once we get towards the end, I'll start thinking about like, you know, where, where the songs are placed on the album or like what, what flows into each other properly. Got it. Um, cause you do want to think about that, but I think getting the body of work, uh, just like all the songs as good as they can be. And so we're all happy with them, um, first and then think about like, okay, what does this sound like all together? And, and I've been in positions where we've been at that point. And at the very end, we're like, this is the album. And they're like, we really need like a ballad or like, we really need an up, another up tempo, or we need a song of this other kind of feel. And then you write again at the very end. So like sometimes mm -hmm. with an album, the songs that stick are either the very first one that like gave shape to the whole thing or the very last song you do. Right. Cause it's like, you've tried all the vibes or you have everything that you think you need. So typically the last song you do will be something that's a lot different. Mm -hmm. than everything else. And sometimes that can be really beneficial because it forces you to step out of the box a little bit. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think that like, we obviously know that we want to have a variety of songs that nod to the emo, that to the emo songs that we grew up with. So the Girl Like You song that we're doing is very hyper pop, what you'd hear on MySpace, right? It's It has that same sound as like what you might expect from like a Metro Station 303, Synthy, whatever. But I think... What's so fun about the project and, and us writing together is we actually have so much fun doing it because it's we don't take it seriously. So we'll go in and be like, let's do a screamo song today. And that's all we need to start with. Let's do a screamo song. And then he'll grab his guitar and then start working on riffs. And then we're like, that's the riff. Track that riff. <laughs> yep. And then while he's tracking that, I might be over there just coming up with uh, an interesting scream pattern or whatever. And it just starts to develop. And we've gone, we've had sessions where we've just gone this way and been like, and then like we let's just say we have the entire first verse musically done and then we do something so dope on the pre-chorus that we just kind of get rid of the first part and mm -hmm. we just build off the pre-chorus. So it's all just it's so fun that there's no rule to it. We just kind of like get in there and and just have fun. Yeah, That's, it's, it's like it's not as simple. methodical yeah. or like planned or like it's yeah, we're like laughing a lot. And we're like, oh, my God, that would be cool to do a part that's like story of the year but then we can like do it like in one of the new songs we were doing i was like it would be cool to have like an american football riff and then it goes into something completely different just to like have that little tidbit the midwest in emo yeah. sound <laughs> opening and then it just goes somewhere yeah completely. that would be or awesome. just like whatever just trying to be experimental and because it's like i always say it's like with the emo's not dead thing it's i'm, I'm used to working with people where like everything is riding on the songs mm -hmm. like the the touring the perception of the artist everything so this is kind of nice because there's like a lot of different facets of Emo's Not Dead because it's like you guys have the performance stuff, the cruise stuff, the merch stuff, this stuff, yep. the videos. Like there's a lot of different things that play into it. And like the cool thing with Matt is like when we're working on the song, he's like talking about what the video is going to look like. Right. So it's like he's thinking like, all right, is this going to translate to a video? What could we do to make the video cool? So we're like also thinking it in that way. Yeah. Which is like not some like usually a lot of times you'll be like, you'll have the song and then you like give it to someone to make it like, Oh, like what should the video be? You now? get a treatment. Yeah. Yeah. No, we actually come up with video concepts literally in the studio <laughs> as we're writing the song. The girl like you music video has so much potential for just 
awesome. Like I love that song so much. It's, <laughs> it, it like taps some sort of like, I guess it's like a nostalgic thing. But when I hear it, it like sounds familiar, but it's like not. Yeah, yeah. It's dude. like sounds. It's like uh, that's what I like about some of the songs. It like sounds like it was. It like it was. I there. feel like I knew this song was on this album. You're like, but it's new. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys thought about an really album title? Not at uh, all. No. Can, no. can I that's suggest not, one? Yes. <laughs> Industry plant. <laughs> And it why do I why do I kind of like that? <laughs> it's so good. Just industry plant. I kind of like it. It might. Be and then that. it's and then it's just like a a little plant in a pot with a little emo wig on it. It's it's industry, a plant. It's a plant growing plant out of a smokestack has, of a like an oil factory or something. I kind of like. I kind of dig plant, that. Yeah. Industry plant. industry plant. I like it. A smokestack with a like <laughs> a plant, like a fern coming what? out. That's kind of sick. Um, <laughs> I actually got the treatment for it, dude. I know the place that we could go shoot that. Oh, you got the, the treatment for, I this, I think for the industry plant? For industry thing? plant. Like, mm-hmm. we have the perfect... I oh, will talk about it. Yeah, and we'll, it's, we'll, it's yeah. also, like, so descriptive of Matt's creative life I as know. well. Uh, yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> Since day one, really. We're calling the album that. It's, that's it. Okay, we just figured that out live um, on the podcast. Dude, first of all, it's getting hot again, isn't it's it? Hot. Did you turn off the AC? Is no, it's, it's just... It bro- just doesn't work. It's okay. broken. Um, well, I, dude, Andrew... Uh, that's it, right? Yeah, are, you, are you going on tour? Do you have anything that you want to like? Uh, you want to <laughs> promote? <laughs> like what? My comedy tours? Uh, no, uh, no. AndrewGoldstein.com. <laughs> anything? I love that. Andrew, do you have anything to promote? He says no. no. All right, thanks for <laughs> watching the podcast. <laughs> Great, I'll take it. Um, Andrew has Goldstein. anyone done that? No, Andrew no, you're the first <laughs> yeah, um, Okay, guys, uh, give it up for An- guys. This audience oh, loved you. Give it up guys, for Andrew thank Goldstein. Thank you so much. So um, since crazy. Andrew's not going to plug himself, I will. He's an amazing producer, songwriter. He also has a side project that he does called Friend, F-R-N-D. Hmm. And I should have probably plugged that. You probably should have plugged that. <laughs> and it's... I think it's on Bandcamp. <laughs> um, <laughs> we got, it's on Spotify. Do you have okay, a song featuring Black Bear with Friend? Yeah. You it's do, actually, right? it's, it's, it went gold recently. Get out. Are dude. you serious, yeah. bro? Congratulations, it was like a, dude. It was a song I did with Black Bear, and uh, we left the second verse open. This was in like 20... Uh, 18 I think and we left the second verse open because I like work with him on stuff and um, he was just like yo this kind of sounds like your project do you just want to like sing the second verse or whatever so I did and he's put it on his album it's like at a I think it's almost at 100 million streams what dude, sweetie dude that's that's huge. so weird yeah. that's huge okay so check out check out Andrew Goldstein as friend FRND and uh, check out the song featuring Blackbird that sounds kind of dope cool um once again, ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Goldstein is in the house. Oh, she likes you. 